Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for your presence here. Lord, we get into the word for a few moments here. Lord, we love your word. Where will we be today without your word? We need your word in our lives. And Lord, we want to be able to be a, a ministry that, that we can come together and we can, we can have the presence of the Lord. And it's like uh, drinking from the river, so to speak. And then, Lord, to feast on, on the word of God, the meat of your word, and receive a fresh anointing and um, come out of this place different. But anyway, we pray over the word tonight, Lord, that you'll come upon me and speak through me in glory and power, strong anointing. Let your word go out as living seed to truth, sown into good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives and watered by the spirit of God. And those seeds of truth in people will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Lord, let there be a washing of the water. Lord, let there be light of revelation shining forth and dispelling any type of darkness or deception of the enemy. And your word be like a hammer that breaks down lies and strongholds and sets people free. Lord, we give you this time. Let your Holy Spirit anoint this time to where all of us are able, by the power of the Holy Spirit, just to give you our best and our full attention, our focus, that the Holy Spirit just help us to lock in our, our minds to not be distracted and our hearts to be soft and open to what you're speaking in our eyes and ears anointed to be able to have eyes and ears of the Spirit. We commit it to you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm going to get into this. I'm in part 27 in my, my little series I'm doing here on the end times. I don't even remember when I started this thing. It was a while back. But the Lord really spoke to me this year would be a year to get into studying the end times, okay? So it's been, it's been an effective time, I believe. All right, so to understand end times, I'm not going to dwell on this very long, but you cannot just read the book of Revelation by itself and really grasp it. You've got to go back. There's a law of first reference. You've got to go back to understand the Old Testament, what was laid out, especially in the first five books of the Bible, symbolism. And you've got to understand a little bit about history. And you also got to understand some of the other prophetic books. And what happens is it all begins to be pieces to the puzzle that's brought together. So um, anyway, I believe each sermon is independently something that you could take a lot away from, but it's good to go back if you can and maybe um, listen to the others because some some people have missed here and there but anyway I'm going to talk about Israel and the coming wars now to understand this you got to understand that Israel is going to be a centerpiece and a focal point in the last days as we're closing out this church age things are going to gradually and ever increasingly shift to the nation of Israel and like I talked about last week Daniel 70 weeks remember 69 weeks and it's like God kind of pushed pause when Jesus died and rose from the dead and then the last 2,000 years have been um, primarily going out to the Gentiles and we know at the very end the Bible talks about there being the 70th week of Daniel which will be what we call the tribulation but the Bible calls the days of Jacob's trouble and it's going to primarily be about Israel and I don't want to go backward too much about that but what's going to happen is more and more so what goes on with Israel is going to be just like you drop a rock into a pond or a lake you know and it has a ripple effect what's going to happen in the nation of israel is literally going to have a ripple effect around the world okay and that's going to keep increasing and i'm going to do another sermon before long in the next couple of weeks where i just focus on the land of israel the covenants god's made with that land and what's coming in the future and i'll just deal specifically with that so i can't get into that tonight but god has a covenant 
with that land that all of that goes back to Abraham and he's going to fulfill this he really is he's going to fulfill his promises and there's prophetic words about Israel being regathered and God softening their hearts there's more and more people uh, Jewish people coming to know the Lord today than there has been the last 2,000 years so it's a sign of the times okay and <coughs> excuse me we know that uh, the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ not the revelation of the Antichrist. So we're, we're looking for the coming of Christ, even though I may deal with the false prophet and the Antichrist, some which I already have, and, and deal with some of these things that are coming on the earth that are going to be negative. Ultimately, for God's people, these are going to be glorious times. And we're going to see a great, great move of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Spirit of God will be poured out on all flesh. We're going to see a great end-time revival. We're going to see a great end-time harvest. We've already been seeing it. Think of all the people, the millions and millions of people that are being... Uh, saved in these last days okay and we're going to see uh, a bride made ready for Christ's coming I believe that so with that said I'm going to kind of deal with Israel and the coming wars and this isn't going to be real long because I want to have time to pray with people tonight because I feel the Holy Spirit is willing to touch people in a powerful way so Jeremiah 30 verse 7 says that it calls it the time of Jacob's trouble so this should give you an indication in the book of Revelation, the church was the focal point in Revelation 2 and 3. But then in 4, it says, come up here. And from that point, the church is not mentioned again. And think about it for a second. It says the days of whose trouble? Jacob's trouble. And Jacob's name was changed to what? Israel. So we know that it's going to be the time that God is going to allow the nation of Israel to really be brought down to its knees and if you uh, if you've listened to other things I've said at this point this will make sense but in the nation of Israel we love Israel we pray for Israel we stand with Israel we really do but the nation of Israel right now is a, a secular nation and they're not really where they need to be at all with God in fact the northern part of Israel is predominantly atheist so but Israel is more right now a Zionist which is um, for the lack of a better way of saying it patriotic okay when I say Zionist it's more of just a patriotic thing it's not it's not really religious like a overall okay the the government the way Israel is set up and the way Israel is run overall is not religious but there are people especially in southern Israel there's a lot of Orthodox Jews that still pray to God and are very serious but overall the nation feels that they are a self-made nation so that that pride right there God's going to allow things that's coming in the days of Jacob's trouble that's really going to bring Israel down to its knees it's going to um, break them down to a place to where they're ready for the coming of their Messiah there's a lot of sin right now in Israel Hom homosexuality is very respected there um, it is the abortion capital of the Middle East um, so it's really not a lot different than America in, in a lot of these things and in Revelation 11, verse 8, Jerusalem is figuratively, figuratively called Sodom and Egypt. Because of Sodom, because of the homosexuality and the sexual sins, and Egypt, because of the idolatry. So, that's where they're at right now. And in my other sermon, I will show you systematically how God said he would deal with Israel. And there's ancient prophecies that are being fulfilled before your very eyes. 
And a lot of people don't know it, but they are. The fact that God, and I can't rabbit trail too much, the fact that God has regathered them as a nation is just as big of a miracle as when Moses brought them out through the Red Sea. It really is. If we were to take um, America right now and we were to be dispersed among other nations in a couple hundred years, nobody would even know who anybody was anymore. So the fact that for 2,000 years, this people group was scattered to over 100 nations um, and the fact that God has regathered them and a nation was born in a day, so to speak, that's what the Bible says in 1948, a nation's born in a day and God gave them Jerusalem and, and all that's happened, it is truly prophecy being fulfilled. And um, I'll talk more about it later, but World War I, World War II, these wars broke open the land and then World War II uh, caused the people to be brought back. It's, it's like the earth has been shaking by the power of God, so to speak, that, that these prophecies be fulfilled. So the fact that they were brought back, in my opinion, is not only a sign that we are definitely in the last days, but it also shows how awesome, powerful God is that no matter what obstacles are in the way, God is still going to do what God said he's going to do. And it's going to happen. The devil can't stop it and people can't stop God. So Israel is going to be a focal point because when Jesus comes back, he's coming back to Israel. He's coming back to Jerusalem, specifically to the Mount of Olives. Remember when they saw Jesus float up and the angels said, why are you guys, can you just imagine these guys just standing there watching Jesus float up? And the angels, what are you guys staring at? This same Jesus is coming back just like he left here. So in other words, the Bible says in Zechariah that Jesus' feet are going to come down and touch the Mount of Olives. It's going to split in two, and he's going to come into Jerusalem as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's going to rule the nations with an iron scepter for a thousand years. So a couple quick things. The promise to Solomon, if you remember, Solomon prayed and dedicated the Temple Mount to God. And they, they shed a lot of blood there, and they consecrated it. And God honored Solomon's prayer to put his name and his presence there, and that has never been revoked. So there is, there's, there's reasons why the devil is fighting tooth and nail, because he knows that things are being set in place for Christ's return. Think about for a second, what's the devil the most scared of? I mean, I know that he's afraid of, of Christians really rising up and being who we're called to be. I know that. He's, he's definitely afraid of revival. When the power of God comes down, all these people get saved, no doubt. But the greatest fear that Satan has is Jesus Christ physically returning to this earth. Because when Jesus comes, Satan's going to be bound, and Jesus is coming to take over. Okay, And he's going to completely dethrone the devil. So you know that, that Satan sees all these end-time prophecies happen, happening, he sees Israel being prepared and that they started out as a nation. Now their borders expanded out toward Jerusalem. In 67, they took Jerusalem. And the next move will probably be that they're going to gain some more land so that they can rebuild their temple. But let me tell you, that is a threat to the devil because that's the temple that the Bible says that the Antichrist will sit in and declare himself to be God, but it's also the same temple mount where Jesus is going to come and rule and reign from. And he knows it, and he sees these things happening, and he knows that his time is short. And so what's he trying to do? He's trying to destroy Israel. And it's not going to work. 
And I know we look at it and say, what in the world is President Obama thinking? It's hard to believe that somebody in their right mind could be okay with giving Iran nukes. You know, seriously, I mean, it's, but when you understand Bible prophecy, you understand, though, that there's coming a time where an ancient prophecy, Ezekiel 38-39, the Gog and Magog War, that that war will happen. It's going to happen. It's in the Bible that it's going to happen. And the Gog and Magog War has to do with Persia, which is Iran and Russia coming together. And I'm going to talk about that tonight. So the stage is being set, guys. Think about it. Not that long ago, I mean, back, you know, what, before the 1950s and before World War II probably would be a good analogy. I mean, the Middle East was still people riding around on camels, okay? I mean, things have changed radically in our lifetime, hasn't it? So this is the place of Christ's coming. This is the land that Michael the archangel defends. Don't worry about Iran having a nuke. Israel's got Michael. <laughs> and as far as keeping the feast and things like that, did you know that we're going to be keeping the feast? Read this. It's interesting. We're going to be keeping the feast of the Lord in the, uh, the millennial reign. It says in Zechariah 14, 16, that the peoples of the earth will come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. And if people try to be rebellious and not come, then Jesus is not going to let rain come on their land. <laughs> they go through a little drought. I got a feeling the next year they'll be there. You know what I'm saying? All right, so let me just dive into what I want to share real quick. In 2006... In Ireland, they unearthed a, an ancient manuscript and they realized that it was Psalm 83. And some people really felt that this was prophetic. I'm just going to kind of tell you what a lot of people see in the future for Israel and then you can draw your own conclusions. But let me say none of us know nobody knows exactly how all of this is going to play out we we have a general idea but there's not a human being on planet earth that knows exactly how all of this is going to play out okay but we do have an idea so i'll talk about the psalm 83 war being a possibility and gog and all of that all right but let me prelude right here joel 231 the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. I want you to notice that I highlighted that, the great and the terrible. In Malachi, it says that the Lord will send the spirit of Elijah or, the, or Elijah the prophet before the great and the dreadful day of the Lord, two different comings. See, they're talking about the first coming and the second coming, okay? Did you know, let, let me go to the Malachi prophecy, that John the Baptist fulfilled that. In Jesus' first coming, Jesus said John the Baptist was Elijah, the, you know, if you could receive him that way, that he had that mantle of Elijah. But the end-time church is going to have the anointing and the Holy Spirit upon us like Elijah to, to be used in a powerful way. Okay, Joel here says that the sun darkened, moon turned to blood before the great and the terrible day. Around the first coming of Christ, there was, again, there was those blood moons. Okay, they can look back and, and prove that there was. So we know... I always thought when I read the blood moon prophecies back years ago 
I thought, you know, hey, it's going to be some kind of a nuke that hits, you know, and everything, all the debris that's thrown up is going to make the sun dark, the moon's going to look blood, things like that. I always thought that until in these uh, last couple years, the fact that now we're understanding that it's connected to the feast days and the, and the moon's being turned to blood specifically on these feast days, it's very, very um, significant that we're seeing that right now. And so these are signs that the coming of the Lord is very near. How many believe that? After listening to this series and going through all the different scriptures, having them all explained to you, how many really believe the coming of the Lord is very near? It would surprise me if it's not in my lifetime. I mean, in the next couple of decades, I'd be surprised if it's not. Okay. And guys, it could be this year. We need to be living like the Lord could come tomorrow. Amen. What would you do tomorrow or what would you do today if you knew the Lord was coming tomorrow? That's how we need to live. Live holy and live being about the Lord's kingdom. Joel 3, 1. And behold, in those days and at the time, I will restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, the Lord said, I will, I will restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. You're seeing that. Israel was, I mean, wasn't it Mark Twain that visited Israel? And he said it was just a desert wasteland. Why would anybody want to live there? Well, look at it now. God has restored the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. But then he said, ultimately, there's this prophecy here. He said that one day I'm going to gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people, my inheritance Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and what have divided up my land. They have also cast lots for my people and traded a boy for a harlot and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. So they treated God, they mistreated God's people and divided his land. So that's why I can't get back into this either, but I've talked about so much in the past why you see whenever even America has tried to do this land for peace and it sounds so politically good, doesn't it? And we're going to partition land, and, and we're going to try to get everybody to get along. People aren't going to get along until Jesus comes. Till the Prince of Peace comes, there's not going to be true peace. And our politicians have messed with Israel and tried to divide their land. And just a real fast thing about this, but George, it started with George Bush Sr. The land for peace in Madrid, Spain, he tried to divide the land, and God, and you know, they wrote a book about the judgment that backlash on America called The Perfect Storm. Even a movie was made about it. That was a retaliation. And then in, uh, Clinton did the same thing. And then what happened? He's messing with Israel and a Jewish girl by the name of Lewinsky. And his little empire started crumbling down. Started facing impeachment. Judgment. And in George W. Bush, which I liked him. He was, you know, in many ways he was a great president. But he gave up Gaza. He tried to divide the land. And then what happened? The backlash. We dealt with Katrina. In a port side city of Gaza, there were people being rescued by helicopters off their rooftops in Israel. And it wasn't that long after that that we saw people in Katrina, a port side city in New Orleans, people being rescued off their rooftops by Coast Guard helicopters, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Judgment comes swift when you mess with Israel. Don't divide God's land. Leave it alone. Let God's purposes be fulfilled. But see, people are trying to oppose God. 
They don't, some of them don't realize that they're doing it, but they are. And Ariel Sharon, who was the prime minister of that time, was part of this giving up land for peace with Bush. And, and he, right after that, he started having health problems and declined right there. You know, it's, so I want to be on the right side of this. I saw somebody post something Abraham Lincoln said. He said, I'm not too worried about who's on what side. He said, I just want to be on God's side. Okay, that's, that's how it is. I just want to be on God's side at the end of the day, right? All right, so Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel saw a valley of dry bones. And he said, can these bones live? Remember that? And he walked among the bones and he said, Lord, only you know if these dry, bleached, parched bones can live. We, we use this in a prophetic sense about God raising the dead and, and bringing life back to something we could have never thought lived in revival. And I believe you can use the scriptures that way. But first and foremost, what this was, was God showed Ezekiel the Holocaust. That's what the Valley of Dry Bones was. God showed Ezekiel back then the Holocaust. And he asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel looked at him and said, Lord, only you know. And he said, I want you to prophesy to these bones. And so he began to prophesy to the bones. Let me read it to you. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and I prophesied, and there was a noise. And behold, a rattling, and bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. And he said, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, this is the Lord God. Come for the four winds, breathe, breathe on these that are slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. So what is Israel known for now? Having a very powerful military. They have to. But God took this Holocaust situation, which looked hopeless for Israel. Think about it for a minute, how hopeless this looked for them. They didn't have a nation. They, they were six million people Hitler killed and it looked so hopeless but God was saying basically I'm speaking metaphorically based on what Ezekiel had here God was saying but I'm not done and I can take this valley of dry bones and I can turn it into an exceedingly great army and before the very eyes of the world Israel who was in the, that valley of dry bones at the Holocaust is today right now an exceedingly great army and that's exactly what the Bible said would happen are you seeing how powerful this is? I mean, Israel was gathered back, and they had no chance in 1948. They had, I can't remember how many nations came against them at one time, but their neighboring countries established military, attacked them, and all they were were refugees from the Holocaust. Yet against all odds, it was a 100% miracle that they won that war and became a nation. Then in 1967, multiple militaries attacked them out, out of the clear blue. And instead of them having suffered great loss and being driven back to the sea like everybody would have thought, Israel ends up not only winning the war, but taking Jerusalem in the process. Let me tell you a cool story about it. Some of you have heard it, but I like the story, so I'm going to say it again for those that didn't. All right. 1967 war, Moshe Dayan was the general. He was the guy, if you look back, he was their military leader that had that patch over his eye. Okay, and That's how everybody remembers him. They saw the enemy in Jerusalem area and they were standing there and they were on foot. And some of his men asked Moshe Dayan, said, can we, can we go? Oh, is it time? Are we ready? And he told him, he told his people, he said, guys, listen, 
He said, I see an angel of the Lord right there. And he said, he's standing there with his sword like this. And he said, I'm not moving till the sword goes like this. And so they stood there and he saw that angel do that. And he said, now, and Israel against all odds took Jerusalem. Isn't that a cool story? Why? Because God's going to fulfill his purposes. Amen. I don't have the scripture pulled up here. It'll be in my next sermon. But some people say, well, why is, if Israel's in sin and they're not right, why is God doing all this? Because prophecy will be fulfilled. And there's a scripture that says, I'm doing all of this for my name to be glorified in the earth. You got to understand, God's not doing this for America, and he's not really even doing this for Israel. He's doing this for his name's sake, that he will be glorified in the earth. Amen. All right, so there's some coming wars. This is how God's going to deal with Israel. There's going to be a systematic series of wars that are going to happen that are in the Bible. And regardless of what happens in the political realm, regardless of whatever our president tries to do or anybody else tries to do, this is in the Bible and these things will happen. Okay? All right, now, some people believe that the Psalm 83, if you want to read that, that that is an upcoming war because they believe it was prophetic and it never actually fulfilled as a prophecy. We can't say 100% for sure, but it, it's very likely. If you look on the next page of your, um, where there's pictures, look at the one on the left that says Psalm 83 Confederacy. That right there is a list of the nations in Psalm 83 that would come against Israel. Isn't it interesting, though, that all around Israel, and this is exactly what Psalm 83 says. So, I mean, I'm, I tend to believe that there might be a Psalm 83 war coming. But all around Israel, look at, you can see the little picture of Israel right there. All around them, they have to the north Hezbollah. They have uh, Lebanon. They have terrorists in Syria. Now, in the J Jordan, Syria area, right in Iraq is ISIS. And they're trying to come against Israel. You have the Palestinians on their border. You have Hamas over there in the Gaza Strip. And even in Egypt, there was the Muslim Brotherhood, but I think that their power's been uh, broken to at least some degree. But anyway, all around them is these Muslim terrorists that hate them and want their destruction. And if you read the Psalm 83 uh, description, Israel will defeat them, defeat them rather, with their IDF. Okay, so if that is a war that's coming, just keep an eye open to there may be a coming war with Israel where the neighboring countries around them try to come down on them and God gives Israel great victory and they may expand their borders some more. Because right now Israel does not have the land that God promised to Abraham. You do realize that. They only have a small portion of the land that God promised to Abraham. And so I have little doubt that they're going to be taking more land in the future. And they're certainly going to be rebuilding their temple. Here's some other prophecies. There is a prophecy in Jeremiah 39, 45, where it says that God will break the bow of Elam. Now, a bow, if you look at a bow and arrow, okay, the bow is the part that provides the tension and the strength. If that bow breaks, the arrow's not going anywhere. 
And so some end time prophecy experts have speculated, because Elam was the southern part of Iran, have speculated that maybe as here they are trying to create nukes and launch them, it's kind of like a, launching an arrow out of a bow that maybe somehow God is going to break that and they're not going to be able to launch a nuke against Israel and that prophecy be fulfilled. But that prophecy will be fulfilled. God's going to break their bow, whatever that means. He may use Israel's military to do it or God may send an earthquake. And just like you guys remember Chernobyl and uh, Ukraine where they had that nuclear meltdown. All right. What if Iran has, you know, all, all of this um, that has gone on politically, all the money they've gotten, everything else, they finally built a nuke. And here they are chanting, you know, we're going to death to Israel, death to America. We're going to nuke the world. We're taking over all the things that they say. And all of a sudden an earthquake happens. Their nuclear reactor splits and they're having a nuclear meltdown and a lot of their people are having to flee from there and become refugees. Would that not break the bow of Elam? I don't know what's coming. I'm just showing you prophecies. And so there's going to be that. There's also going to be Damascus will be destroyed. Did you know right now Damascus is the oldest living city that has never been destroyed that in my, to my knowledge in existence right now, Damascus is ancient. You read about it by name. The name hasn't even changed. You read about it in the Bible. And Damascus is still there right now, but the Bible says in Isaiah 17, there's coming a time that God will destroy Damascus. It's, it's going to be a judgment. Okay. So look for that. Keep your eye on Syria. Keep your eye on Damascus because there's coming a time that Damascus will be destroyed and it'll probably be Israel that does it. Okay, Iraq. See, these prophecies have been there for how many thousands of years? And listen to this. There's been people preaching this as far back as I know of, preaching about the fact that God is going to destroy Babylon. He's going to destroy Iraq. Now, Look at how the landscape has changed in the last couple of decades. What is Iraq now? It's the home base for ISIS. So is it any great surprise to any of us right now that God just might wipe that place out? But see, 10, 15, 20 years ago, people be thinking, well, you know, it's no different anywhere else. But anyway, Iraq is ancient Babylon, and the Bible says that it will be destroyed one day. Did you know Iraq is where the Garden of Eden originally was? And did you know that's also where the Tower of Babel stood? So it's a place of great rebellion. All right. Jeremiah 49, verse 2. Just know that these things are going to happen in the future. Keep your eye on them. It says in Jeremiah 49, verse 2, that Ammon, which is Jordan today, and then uh, 49, 8, Dedan, which is Saudi Arabia, and Esau, which is the Palestinians in southern Jordan, it talks about these, that there's going to be future wars that are going on in these areas, okay? 49.19, at least we speculate that these have probably not happened and there could be wars to come. But how many of you guys know that if the Bible says it, man, it's coming, okay? So these are areas that may see warfare in the coming days. If, if these prophecies have not been fulfilled, and I, I'm not sure that they have right there in Jeremiah 49. All right, but we do know this for sure. There is a coming war called the Gog and Magog War in Ezekiel 38 and 39. 
But for this war to happen, for Gog and Magog to happen, they're going to have to be living in peace without walls. It says that. So right now, we can see that things are changing. We can see that Russia is beginning to kind of emerge again, and Putin is, is flexing some little muscles, right? And, and we see Iran is now getting some, some nuclear weapons, and you can see the Gog War beginning to form, can't you? But the truth is that until Israel is without walls living in peace, it says that the Gog War, that's what entices. See, it says that the ruler is talking about somebody like Putin that's over Russia. It says that Satan is going to put into his mind a thought, hey, they're living in peace without walls. Let's go plunder their wealth. Well, right now, Israel's not living in peace, and they're not living without walls. They have walls, physical walls. So I don't foresee Gog and Magog happening tomorrow, um, but it is coming. So I'll paint a picture of what could be in just a moment, so follow me. The next war that could be a possible war is Revelation chapter 9. Remember, I talked about that abyss being open in those crazy demons that look like locusts with scorpion tails and all that come out well some people believe though that that's also going to mark an invasion into israel but that will be during the tribulation time so that could be another war that israel has and then the final war the war to end all wars is armageddon isn't it kind of funny though listening to the newscasters every time there's some serious thing going on could this be armageddon People throw around, throw around that word, have no idea what it is. But in the very end, that's what Joel was prophesying earlier. God said, I will gather the nations, the nations, all the nations in the world. I will gather them down to Jerusalem and I will judge them for the way they treated my people. And Armageddon is going to be where the Antichrist stirs up all the nations at the end of the tribulation time to come against Israel with their military and that's when Jesus is going to split the eastern sky and destroy them okay and that's going to fulfill uh, many prophecies so when Jesus comes it says in Isaiah 2 4 Joel 3 10 that weapons will be beat into plowshares so people want to put that on different buildings and talk about that but let me just tell you I believe that the false prophet and the Antichrist and others are going to kind of ride that political theme of, hey, let's all come together for peace. But there's not going to be true peace until Jesus comes. And this prophecy is for when Jesus physically comes. And they want to take this scripture and put it up and say, we're all going to lay down our arms and we're all going to come together in peace and just love each other. Peace, tolerance, and love and all this. It's not going to happen until Jesus comes. So they're actually misusing that scripture. And then if you look at the Gog War on the right, that picture there, they're coming from nations that are far away. It's not surrounding nations anymore. That's interesting, isn't it? So something's going to have to happen, in my opinion, because you don't see any surrounding nations mentioned. They're coming from northern Africa. They're coming from, looks like Eastern Europe, probably, Gomer. 
And they're coming from like Turkey, Russia, and Iran. So let me just give you a scenario of what possibly could, it could look like in the future. There could be some of these prophecies against Iran where God breaks their bow. God might allow Damascus to get destroyed. But could it be possibly that there's some kind of a war around Israel's borders where all these terrorist nations that are coming against them, that somehow there's a war that culminates? And people call this the Psalm 83 war, okay? And Israel wins. And they, they conquer these terrorists around them. They expand their borders. And they begin to take land that used to be owned by these other nations that have oil in it. And Israel's wealth radically increases because of the oil. I mean, it's just a possibility. But now, if that does happen, their borders expand. And now they're going to be living at peace without walls. You see what I'm saying? And once that happens, Israel has really flexed some muscle. And, and now there's peace and they're doing good. And then all of a sudden, this makes way for the Gog War where Satan begins to move on the mind of the Russian leader of that time, whether it's Putin or not. And they begin to, to get together a coalition of other nations and they look down at Israel, they see that they're living in peace without walls, and they see their wealth now, and they say, let's go get their wealth. I could really see this because even right now, Russia's all about world domination and having the oil and everything else, you know. So they come against Israel in the Gog War, and God is going to beat them senseless. You should read it. There's even fiery hailstones that come down on them. They're going to get a beating of a lifetime. And God's going to show himself mighty through that. I promise you, after the Gog War, there's going to be Muslims that think, man, there's got to be a God in Israel. We're, we're, we're serving the wrong God. And a lot of Israelis that were atheists, you know, because the Holocaust or whatever, they're going to be like, you know, that, that was a move of God. He must be real. He's going to show himself mighty through the Gog War. And then, you've got to understand, if it happens this way, we can only speculate. But let's say that Israel has to fight around their borders, the Psalm 83 War. They finally win. They finally have peace. They're finally without walls, and they're... They're doing good. Now, all these other nations form a coalition to come down on them in the Gog War. And you have to know that they're thinking in their minds, man, we really don't have any friends in the world. So it could lead them to a place to where they're ready to sign a peace treaty with some political leader the Bible calls the Antichrist. So let me say that one more time. It's a possible scenario. They have to fight the war around their borders they're able to take it, rebuild their temple. It's possible. And then Gog War comes from the nations. God gives them victory. They win, but now they're ready to sign some kind of a peace treaty with a, a political leader because they're tired of all the warfare. They're tired of all the fighting. They're tired of people trying to pick on them. They just want to have peace. And, but once they sign that peace pact for seven years, the moment, you got to understand, whoever it is, whether it's Netanyahu or somebody else, as soon 
as his pen signs that peace treaty with the Antichrist, that's going to truly start the days of Jacob's trouble. The seven-year tribulation is what we call it. And that will ultimately lead, there might be mid-tribulation, that, that incursion I talked about, but ultimately that's going to lead to the battle of Armageddon at the end of the tribulation where all of the nations, why? Because God has caught away the bride before all that. Then all the martyrdom that's happened that I talked about, the 144,000 are gone, the, the two prophets in Israel have been killed. And all, the, all this has happened and now all that's left on the earth at the end of the tribulation primarily is all these wicked people that have totally given themselves over to the Antichrist. And Satan, the, well, the Antichrist being used of the devil, gathers the nations against Israel for the war, the battle of Armageddon, and Jesus comes and destroys the armies of Israel. And he comes into Jerusalem and sets his feet on the Mount of Olives. They split, and then he comes into Jerusalem to take over. All right, so these are the possibility of the coming wars with Israel. But listen, Israel is God's timepiece, and keep your eye on what's going on because it's significant. Think about it for a minute. How can a little piece of land as small as Israel, smaller than the Principality of Wales, even smaller, I think, than Finland, or maybe the same size, a tiny little piece of land. How many times does Finland make the news? Never. Okay, right, but yet Israel, and no offense to the Finnish people, all right, but Israel is continually, <laughs> continually in the news almost every single day, and it's like this teeny tiny little piece of land with six million people in it. You would think with a natural mind, who cares? But it's satanic. Satan's trying to destroy them, and God's prophecies are being fulfilled, Okay. All right, let me close out by sharing something real quick, and then, and then we're going to pray. Something's changed in America. I believe revival's coming to America, okay? But I'm going to share something in the way of history, if you'll bear with me just for a minute. In the 60s, something really changed in America. I want you all to hear me. I want you just to kind of tune back in for a minute. How many of you guys are believing for revival with me? Okay, I'm going to kind of share with you a little bit of what happened and how to pray. But in, 19, in the 60s, there was a countercultural movement called, you know, the hippie movement or whatever. And there was this, this move of the devil in our nation to throw off the values that our nation had had up to that point. And even before that time, uh, even non-Christian girls were, you know, keeping their virginity until they got saved. But now, in the 60s, with the hippie revolution and the music and things that were going on and the message that was being preached, everybody now is experimenting with drugs, free sex, and messing with the occult, you know, messing, messing with Eastern mysticism and, and New Age and things like that. And it did something in our nation. It changed something in our nation. It was in the 60s that prayer was removed from school. It was in the 60s that the Church of Satan was birthed in 1966 with Anton LaVey. The 60s was a turning point. And that, listen, intercessors, that right there needs to be a focal point in our prayer because that's when things change. <clears throat> now I'm gonna share something in history to make a point, so just follow me. Before the 60s, okay, we had the Korean War, 1950 to 53. Just, just listen to this, this is amazing. After World War II, okay, remember World War II with Hitler? Okay, and the Nazis and all that. After World War II, Russia 
communist Russia, Russia planted a communist leader in North Korea and supplied their military with weapons. On June 25, 1950, the North Korean military, with its Russian-equipped Soviet-trained military, launched a devastating attack upon the poorly prepared and unaided South Korean forces. Now, let me stop there. You guys know about Dr. Cho. You know South Korea. You know Seoul, Korea. You know that powerful church there, okay? This is that area. And I remember Dr. Cho talking about when his ministry was actually in its infancy, he had to use an old army tent that from our military, from American military that we left to set it up and hold prayer meetings as this was back in those days, okay? Within days, the communists had captured Seoul. Russia was giving them weapons. Russia was empowering North Korea. And you guys know how North Korea is. Okay. Realizing that the fall of South Korea was imminent, U.S. President Truman ordered General Douglas MacArthur to bring American troops from Japan to aid South Korea's military and push back the unprovoked attack from the North Koreans. The Russians continued to supply weapons to North Korea, and China sent 300,000 troops into help. This caused the war to drag on for three years. <coughs> so North Korea had Russia's help, and they had China's. Think about 300,000 troops. That's a lot of people that China sent over. You ought to look at a map. I mean, little South Korea, it, it's right next to China. I mean, it's like you think, how did these, how did these guys survive? Okay, I'm going to show you how America really did help them, all right? The war dragged on for three years, and maybe people say, well, maybe we could have done more to completely destroy North Korea's regime or something, but nonetheless, our military stayed, and we saw it through to a victory, and we know that there was a peace treaty that was signed, and from that time till now, 60 years later, South Korea has been free from communism. And think about how much of a blessing South Korea has been to the world. You guys know Per Mountain? Th hundreds of thousands of people praying all the time. And no doubt in my mind, there's no doubt that the South Koreans praying for America, which they prayed for us because they remembered this war. They, they've said that. Dr. Cho's talked openly about it. We had a heart for America because of what America did for us in the 50s. So they begin to pray and fast for America to see revival. And it was in the early uh, 1990s, Dr. Cho came over here and he said, God spoke to me. He said, God told me that he's not done with America, but that God is going to send revival. He said, it will begin in Pensacola, Florida, and it'll burn like a matchhead. It'll then move 50 miles west. But he, see, I, he said, I see America. Revival is going to go up the East Coast. It's going to go up the West Coast. And all of America will be ablaze in the fires of revival before Jesus comes. I'm sharing all this for a reason. But see, our country back then was willing to get in there and stay, stay with it till the victory was won. And also at this time, our, our veterans that were going into World War II and the Korean War were considered heroes when they came home, okay? All right, now here's the radical change, the 1960s. Everything started changing in America. Now look at this, the Vietnam War, same exact scenario. You have an Asian country where the North is communist. They're trying to come down on the South, same exact scenario. Let me just read it to you. This war is dear to my heart, actually, 
researching it because my dad was in it, so that's why I know a little bit about it. But the Vietnam War began when communist guerrillas called the Viet Cong launched a campaign of murder and terror against the South Vietnamese villages. Torturing and even mutilating village leaders, the Viet Cong terrorized the people in order to force them into accepting communism. In 1964, the North Vietnamese foolishly fired on American warships. President at that time, Lyndon B. Johnson, asked Congress to give him power to begin a more aggressive approach against the North Vietnamese back when presidents act like presidents and ask Congress's permission. Everybody says, amen. All right, our troops deployed in 1965. Our soldiers fought bravely from 1965 till 1969. If you'll follow me with this little piece of history right here, I'm going to show you spiritually some lessons out of this, okay? So from 1965 to 1969, this was the first wave of intense warfare against the North Vietnamese. On May the 20th, 1969, our troops fought one of the most brutal battles in the war. It was so bad, they had to take this mountain. It was so bad that it was named Hamburger Hill. At this point, we actually had the North Vietnamese military on the run. Now listen to me. If we would have regathered our forces in 69 and came stronger than ever, we could have took down the North Vietnamese and probably ended the war. This was the turning point. 1969 was the turning point of this war. I'm making a point if you'll follow me. We had actually driven them back. We actually broke their power, and they suffered major, major casualties. A lot of people don't know this because they haven't really studied out the history of this. But we actually could have ended this war in 69. But this is what happened. In America, while this hippie movement was going on out of San Francisco's Haight-Ashbury, and the biased media... The media was trying to cover the war, but everything was so against our military in the media, against the war. It produced a lack of patriotism. And Washington was playing politics and caused our military to pull back instead of taking, taking the, um, the war and won the war, they pulled back. And within a few days, after they fought, it was, they called it Hamburger Hill because so many people were shot and died there was so much blood it was that bad they fought all the way up and took that hill but because Washington pulled them out just within a few days the North Vietnamese took that hill again without firing a shot isn't that something so now Washington is playing games they're just trying to appease the people this caused us to enter the second phase of war this was the part of the war that my dad was in, so he'll remember some of this. But from 1970 to 1973, fewer troops, see this was dangerous, fewer troops entered battles in Cambodia and Laos trying to shut down the Ho Chi Minh Trail, which was a trail that North, Korea, I mean, sorry, North Vietnamese people had made to smuggle weapons across Cambodia and Laos. They were trying to shut down that trail. The war at this point was deadly for our troops because fewer troops were being sent in just to flex our muscle and act like we're doing something, but then they would pull back, not really accomplishing anything significant as Washington was just playing political games. But we weren't being aggressive. We withdrew in 1973, and listen to this, after all that happened, all those troops that died, all of our men that gave their lives so bravely for our country, by 1975, the North Vietnam uh, military took Saigon. They slaughtered them. They slaughtered them, okay? Then they go over and release a reign of terror on Cambodia and Laos and slaughter them as well. 
And our military troops, listen to this, they came back home after fighting a horrible war to have hippies in airports spitting on them and cussing at them instead of heralding them as the heroes that they were. All right. The reason why I shared this history is because there's a couple things that we need to learn as I close this sermon. In these last days, let me tell you that you cannot play games with the devil in the realm of spiritual warfare. If you enter into a battle with the enemy, you better stick it through to the end and make sure that you have fully conquered, okay? We have to be vigilant and we have to be aggressive and see things all the way through. See, Korea and Vietnam were handled completely different. One had strong leadership, the other had weak leadership. Number two, or number three rather, Joshua, remember how Joshua, God told him, he said, you're gonna take the promised land, but you better take that promised land aggressively. You better tear down all their idols. You better slaughter all those people. You better take this land because if you don't fully take the land and you allow those people to leave, that live rather, they will be thorns in your side. How many Christians today are living spiritually with thorns in their side because they have not really conquered this, the junk in their life yet? They haven't pressed in to get their total victory. How many churches have thorns in their side because they haven't prayed and fasted and got the victory in certain areas? Okay, I'm gonna tell you, we've got to be willing to be aggressive and lay hold of the promises of God and get personal victories in our lives. And then as ministries, we gotta be willing to start and finish something. <clears throat> Let me give you an example. God's planted us, this church plant here in Garland. I plan on staying till God's done and I'm not gonna give up, I'm not gonna stop. We're going to see every soul saved we're supposed to see saved, and we're going to see revival. I'm going to stick it out, and we're going to see it happen. Amen? And that's just the way that it is. See, the devil loves to get people discouraged and down about different things, and they back off and they leave. And then he can regather his forces, and he can make it even worse than it was before. That's why we've got to stick things out and see it all the way through. And just like our, our military heroes, they were heralded heroes, which they were heroes in World War II when they came home. They were heroes in the Korean War, but they were also heroes in the Vietnam War. It's just that society had changed and treated them different. Now listen, when we see revival and you see people saved, we start seeing, y'all hear me, we start seeing Book of Acts Christianity like never before. We've already seen a lot of people healed, but you start seeing even more healings and you start seeing demons come out of people and you start seeing the power of God come down like we've already been seeing some, but it's on a bigger scale and it becomes more known, what's gonna happen? The same thing that always happens in every revival in church history, there's gonna be critics that are raised up just like these that spit on their, you know, their, the, those that should have been heralded as, as heroes and hugged and thanked for their service for our country were spit on. In the same way, I believe those that are gonna see great revival in these last days are gonna have other Christians, instead of thanking them for getting the breakthrough, are gonna be, cussing at them and treating them like garbage, so to speak. You see what I mean? They're going to be criticizing the revival. They're going to be speaking evil against them. And we've got to be willing to handle that. And I believe that, River of Life, I believe that you will. How many are hungry for more of God? You're hungry for a revival. Like, Book of Acts Christianity, I'm tired of all the games that are being played out there. And, and there is some games being played. I thank God that there's revivals. There's little hubs right now in America of like IHOP and 
in Bethel seeing some things and some other places, but we need to see a full-on move of God. We need to see Book of Acts Christianity restored back fully. Amen? All right, and then the last thing I want to say is this. I was trying to get people to wrap their mind around the Hebrew roots of the faith and about Jesus being Jewish because I didn't want them to get deceived about the coming Antichrist who's going to be a false messiah. I can't get back into all of that, but last week I talked about the prayer shawl that he had, but now the shofar. The Bible says in Acts 3.21, heaven must receive him, Jesus, until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke through the mouth of the holy prophets from ancient time. There's going to be a restoration of all things. How many believe that? Listen, it started out in the book of Acts. We read about the power of God coming down and thousands being saved in one meeting and, and the dead being raised and major healings and miracles and everything that happened. And God says, listen, the devil has really put the church through it through the dark ages. So much has been lost, but everything is going to be restored in these last days. I believe that with every fiber of my being, and one of the things that's going to be restored is understanding the Hebrew roots of the faith as well. But um, Jesus is going to return at the blast of a shofar. So I wanted to just say this as I close because it was on my heart since we're talking about warfare, but the power of the shofar. In the Bible, the enemy was confused when Gideon's little army of 300 people blasted the shofar and hundreds of thousands of people fled and were defeated at the shofar blast. The enemy is confused. The walls of Jericho, the strongholds of the enemy came crashing down at the shofar blast. David brought in the ark into Jerusalem at the shofar blast. That's releasing the glory of God. And I believe that angels are released at the shofar blast and the heavens open. So I just wanted to share that because of the, the spiritual warfare that's coming. All right. I mean, you guys learned something tonight. We're going to pray with people here in just a moment. War with Israel. Keep your eye on Israel. Right now with these blood moons and what's going on, I really believe Israel's being postured for war, okay? Merzak, if you could just play, I think it's CD4. Just kind of play that quietly. All right. I know everybody's getting ready for prayer, but just for a second, just look this way. Matthew 25, I've already preached on this, but Jesus said there were 10 virgins. All were virgins, but only five were wise. The five wise virgins had extra oil. The only thing that oil can mean is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. There's not another translation here or another um, interpretation. Oil speaks of the Holy Spirit. So one of the things that we need in these last days is we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Amen. We need a fresh anointing on our lives. And so when we come together in River of Life, you know, we come together and worship God's presence is here. We, we feast on the meat of God's word and we want to pray with people so you can get a fresh touch on your life. You need it. We need it. I need it. We've got to have a fresh anointing. So my wife and I are going to pray for people that want prayer tonight. We'll probably have to move some chairs, at least here. Okay, I know we, we got some of our regulars out, man. Miss, miss these guys wish they're here to get a fresh touch tonight but anyway if you want prayer tonight if y'all would just stand and let's let's just kind of just for a moment just kind of worship to ourselves and i might have some people dim the lights a little bit we're just going to pray for people just ask god to fill you tonight if you need healing if you need physical healing let me know we'll pray for your healing god's been healing people if you've been saying some kind of a bondage in your life you need to be set free from something let me know. We'll pray for you. God will deliver you. God's set a lot of people free. 